This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Donald Trump was booked at an Atlanta jail on Thursday in his fourth, fourth criminal arrest this year. This time in a sweeping racketeering case accusing him and his allies of conspiring to reverse the 2020 election loss in Georgia. He even has a new name. From now on, he's to be referred to as inmate number P0113-35809. Trump flew to Atlanta in his private plane from Newark, New Jersey, and was immediately whisked to the Fulton County Jail in a motorcade with a police escort, arriving at exactly 7.35 p.m. He was then fingerprinted and photographed like any other perp accused of a state crime. And that mugshot, holy shit! There have been literally millions of pictures taken of American presidents, but never like this. What makes it all the more remarkable is that Trump was processed in jail in Atlanta only 24 hours, 24 hours after most of his rivals for the GOP nomination raised their hands in a presidential debate in Wisconsin to say that they would support him if he becomes the GOP nominee. The photo instantly becomes part of Trump's shit-stained legacy as he confronts criminal charges in four American cities while seeking to reclaim the White House. His aides swiftly capitalized on the image, fundraising off the first mugshot in American history of a former president as representative of the persecution that they contend Trump is encountering. Now, while Trump only spent around 15 minutes in custody, his visit to the Fulton County Jail will forever stain his legacy and is a potent reminder that for all his bullshit fucking bluster, the former president has run out of road and must now face the music. After those 15 minutes, he then returned directly to the Atlanta airport, where he briefly spoke to reporters on the tarmac before boarding his plane. And what does Donald say? Well, he says that he has done nothing wrong. He called the charges a travesty of justice and added, we have every right to challenge an election that we think is dishonest. Fulton County Jail, besides being the site of Trump's humiliation, is also a notorious facility, name-checked by rappers and currently under investigation by the Justice Department for its unsafe and unsanitary conditions. So in honor of Orange Jesus' arraignment, I will now read from rapper Gucci Mane's classic live from Fulton Jail. And here's how it goes. Now ask yourself what really have you done for me? Cause I don't need no one to tote no guns for me. A hundred thousand dollar bribe I paid the bond for me. I copped a plea they said could set me free. You have one minute remaining. So if you're looking for a flop, go and jump in the ocean. If I wasn't the boss, I'd have to give myself a promotion. Donald Trump always thought he was a mafia don. Now he can down on Rico like the rest of them. So sayonara fucking buddy. And coincidentally, this is not the first high profile case involving federal racketeering that the Fulton County Police Department has pursued in recent memory. In 2022, they arrested multiple rappers signed to Young Thug's record label, Young Stoner Life, including Thug himself. 
So accusing the label of violating Georgia's Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organization Act, RICO, Fulton County put Thug, Gunna, and several other members behind bars. However, while Thug still awaits trial, acing eight counts, Gunna earned his freedom with a plea deal last December. Now, with Trump preparing to take on the same court for his RICO case, led by Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, he decided to hire the same lawyer that Gunna employed. So on Thursday morning, representatives for Trump announced the addition of Steve Sadow to his legal team. So speaking of Willis, crazy Jim Jordan and his insane Freedom Caucus cohorts wasted no time in pissing into the wind by opening their own investigation into the Fulton County DA. Jordan is actually questioning whether Willis had collaborated with the Biden administration officials and targeting any federal funding that her office receives. In an absolutely ridiculous letter sent on Thursday, Jordan accused Willis of carrying out a politically motivated prosecution. Turning first to the question of motivation, it is noteworthy that just four days before this indictment, you launched a new campaign fundraising website that highlighted your investigation into President Trump, he wrote. And Jordan then said he was demanding all documents and communications between Willis's office and federal officials and any relating to the Fulton County District Attorney's Office's use of federal funds. A review of budget documents indicates that most of the office's funding comes from local government, though prosecutors' office often receive at least some federal grant money. And this is just the latest example of House Republicans allied with Trump using or trying to use their power in Congress to try to derail efforts to prosecute him. And today's arrest seems different than the ones that preceded them. So first of all, it was the first time that we were treated to the sight of Trump's mugshot, which made him look like, like some sort of a fucking constipated wizard about to cast a spell. Secondly, I think it's the start of a very long trial to come. We will see that picture used ad nauseum by both sides. It will be on t-shirts and mugs and made into memes. Trump is seeking to martyr himself. And if you listen to his insane interview with Tucker Carlson on Thursday, all I can say is dark times are a-coming. Carlson, the disgraced former Fox News host, asked Trump twice whether he believed America might be heading toward a civil war or open conflict. In response, the former president suggested that such violence was within the realm of possibility. There's a level of passion I've never seen. There's a level of hatred I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination, Trump told Carlson. And then Carlson repeatedly asked Trump if he believed that there was a conspiracy to kill him rather than allow him to win another election. Trump implied it was possible. I mean, this was a truly frightening turn of events. What we are witnessing is a candidate who believes that he is bigger than his party running beyond the constraints of morality or justice, looking to fan the flames of violence and civil war. 
Now he has nothing to lose and will bring this nation down upon us all before he goes to prison. And right beside him is fucker Carlson, using the vast reach of Elon Musk's recently renamed X to operate beyond the pale of acceptable journalism. He now makes Fox News look responsible, and his Trump interview was akin to shouting fire in a crowded theater. Both men will use one another and fan the flames of conspiracy until this whole shithouse explodes. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show intrepid newsman Ali Velshi. Host of Velshi and seemingly the favorite fill-in host of every other MSNBC primetime news show, Velshi also reported live from the front lines of the George Floyd protests. He was drenched during Hurricane Ian and dodged incoming fire from Russian artillery when he fearlessly reported live from the front lines in Ukraine. A concerned citizen of the world, Velshi seems to be everywhere that there is injustice. He has been a contributor at CNN, Al Jazeera America, and NBC, to name just a few. He joins us today on Mea Culpa amidst this historic moment of Trump's fourth, fourth arrest. Just last week, he actually went ahead because there are people who refuse to read, and he himself read the entirety of the 98-page indictment on the air and into the historic record. I mean, this is a true moment of infamy. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Ali, let's start by talking about yesterday's debate. If you even want to call that, it's more like a fucking debacle, right? You set the stage and tone by saying on air, and I quote, that there is nothing normal about this debate. Do me a favor. Unpack for me this statement, obviously beyond the obvious, right? That concurrent with the debate coverage, former President Trump, right? Uh, and, you know, Trump officials and GOP party hacks were surrendering to jail for attempting to overturn an election. And at the same yep. time as the debate, the guy is on Twitter with yep. fucker Carlson having counter-programming. So do me a favor, unpack yep. the statement for me. Yeah, it's, and that's the point, that you can't, you can't evaluate what you would think of as a debate in a normal context, right? What's happening, uh, the, the split screen that you saw on Wednesday uh, and, and continuing into Thursday is this idea that the, 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 the GOP, the Republican Party, is a party in crisis and in turmoil and that is at an inflection point in which it has to face a reckoning. Are they going to be a party of policies and discussions and conservatism and, and, um, and you, know, you know, those kinds of political issues? Or are they going to be a party that has given itself over to thuggery and criminality and anti-democratic tendencies? That's what the whole thing was about. It was kind of amazing to have a debate with uh, a whole bunch of participants who didn't really want to tackle the one issue in the room. That was the candidate who didn't show up, who has been uh, indicted now uh, four times on 91 charges, right? That's the issue. There were little things that came up here and there. There were little attempts to uh, talk about policy. Uh, And even when they did, when they talked about abortion, for instance, it was, you know, only Nikki Haley made any sense when she said, 
guys, this is just this is a losing debate for us. Why don't you get off of it? But they, you know, there's all sorts of nonsense. So there was a little bit of policy that that crept into it uh, in a little way, but mostly it was the how are you going to fix this dumpster fire that the Republican Party has become? There was some interesting stuff by Asa Hutchinson and and uh, Chris Christie, but generally speaking, uh, nobody had anyone to anything to really contribute to that meaningful discussion. Which is why serious people can't have watched that debate and thought to themselves, "Oh, I'm really going to learn something here about who I should support." Now that said, Michael, there are people who do that. They go to these state fairs and they they're in Iowa and they're listening to these people and they're kind of trying to evaluate between them. But it's a bit nonsensical because until everybody decides that a political party in America has to be on the side of dem- democracy and a against criminality, this is all a bit of a BS conversation. Yeah, it reminds me so much of the movie Talladega Nights, right? In yep. Talladega Nights, right, with Ricky Bobby and so on, there's a very famous line in the movie. If you ain't first, you last. All right? And yep. none of these people on that stage have, an, have any remote chance of being the Republican nominee unless, and this is what they're all probably thinking— Trump is put behind bars, he's jailed, drops dead of a heart attack, right? Or ends up just choosing not to run for whatever his reason might be. And none of those three appear to be happening, right? Right. The third one is is definitely not likely now because the only thing Trump can hope for is that as president, some of the charges, like the federal charges against him, may be stayed or something may happen or the trials may not happen. So he's now got, I think he's committed to having to stay in this race at, at this point. But you're right, right? The only thing that can happen with those people on the debate stage is a, one of those three things happens, and then someone has to be the nominee, at which point you're now looking at, uh, at, at the moment, is that a Ron DeSantis? Is that a uh, Vivek Ramaswamy who wanted to make a big name for himself and, and, and did last night? But more importantly, is someone going to be Donald Trump's vice president. This is tricky, right? Because a number of them have come out and spoken against Donald Trump. So it's not going to be Asa Hutchinson. It's not going to be Chris Christie. It's probably not going to be, it won't uh, be Nikki, Nikki Haley, Haley because nope. she wasn't was a big Trumper, but was not a Trumper anymore. But notice everybody else is still thinking about that, right? They're still angling for it, other than Mike Pence. I think he knows that that uh, ship has sailed. But everybody else is sort of thinking. Tim Scott behaves like a guy who could be uh, Donald Trump's vice presidential candidate. Vivek Ramaswamy jokes about it all the time, that he would be Trump's vice president, presidential candidate, and maybe Trump will be his vice presidential candidate. So Everybody's angling for something here. As you know, the one thing that's interesting in the conservative political world is that there's money to be made by just making your name, right? In the Republican primaries, remember back in 2015, 2016, every candidate gets to be at the top for a couple of weeks. And then they get book deals and they get speech deals and maybe they get a show on Fox or something of that Mm -hmm. nature. So some of the people might just be playing to something else. Generally speaking, Again, with the exception of a guy like Chris Christie and maybe Asa Hutchinson, the the real people who you might think who might take the Republican Party forward into something interesting for the future are not in this race. And they may not be. They're real Republicans. People like um, Liz Cheney, people like Mitt Romney, uh, Romney, right, like Adam Kinzinger. They're not in this race. Well, first of all, they're not in the race for several different reasons. One, they spoke out negatively of the Republican Fuhrer. And as a direct result, they have been not progosioned, right? In fact, they, they've, no, been, they've been excommunicadoed, right? And that's, yeah, yeah. that's really what's right. happened here. You know, if you speak right. out against that for whatever the reason might be, 
They would rather yeah. destroy. You know, a lot of people have said to me that the big problem they see right now in our country is we've always had, for the most part, a two-party system, Republican, Democrat. Now, right. there is a ton of people, probably equal to the Republican Democrat is our independence. And it's really the independence that will ultimately decide who becomes president right. and who does not. My understanding is that the independents are really displeased with what's going on in terms of the Republican Party. How could they not be? I mean, this is a party that has turned itself into a Southern white Christian evangelical coalition. Yeah. People, Ali, they were like you. about DeSantis for a while, right? right? The modern people, people you and I talked to in New York who would like to pay lower taxes and have lower, reg, you know, less regulation. We're talking about DeSantis for a while, but he's turned out to be, uh, a, a, you know, not sensible in his approach to things, particularly as it relates to things like Disney. So I think, I think Nikki Haley's trying to scope out that position kind of maybe, uh, but her problem is she didn't. She hasn't picked a lane, right? She did something remarkable as governor of South Carolina after the the, the shooting at the church, mm -hmm. and she had the Confederate uh, flag taken down. I mean, that was a remarkable moment. And had she built on that, she could have really made a lane for herself. But she didn't. She joined. She jumped on the the Trump bandwagon after saying that she wouldn't, and that he was the worst guy in the world. She jumped on the Trump bandwagon, got tainted by that, and is now kind of trying to hang on to the wagon but not really be on it and sort of say she doesn't like it and say, uh, you know, bring out these broad generalizations like it's time for a new generation. Michael, that's not the case. It's not time for a new generation. That's a separate issue. The Democrats can have that discussion too. That's not what we're talking. We're not talking about generational change and people who are too old. That's not what this is about. We're talking about a Republican Party that has become perverted into something anti-democratic and, and, and criminal. Right. That's what this is. It's not about generations. So the problem is Nikki Haley's trying to play to that donor class and might have actually made some inroads last night, but she's not really got a lane. Nobody believes in her. Nobody's going to go out and fight for Nikki Haley. Vivek Ramaswamy could be that guy. He's 38 years old. He's an entrepreneur. He's all these things. But he came out with all sorts of conspiracy. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, yeah, day, we're, I mean, we're going to uh, get we're going to get to him. But, you know, but here's the thing, Ali, the way that the Republican Party is setting themselves up right now. People like you, people like me, could never be welcome into that party. We do not fit into the Southern white Christian coalition. I, we yeah. do not. As I sat and I listened, for example, to um, Vice President Mike Pence last night, and he's forever, ever poorly quoting scripture and talking about his faith, you know, I had a Always. I had a um a rabbi when I was a young boy, you know, and we engaged into a conversation, you know, for the first up until fifth grade. You may not know this, but I grew up in a yeshiva, right, with yarmulke, tzitzit. Nobody would ever believe it. Then I left. I went to the public school and then um, my private school route. I remember speaking to a rabbi, and he turned around and he said to me, "People who profess." their holiness, their spirituality, their, um, you know, their closeness to God, generally the ones that are the farthest away from it, that actually have no real conviction, and that they use it 
sort of is a tool of bullshit. Though the rabbi didn't use the word bullshit, right? I mean, right. that's how I see Mike Pence. You know, this sort of oneness with his Bible and oneness with God. God bless him if he does. God bless him. Yeah. But the fact that every single response, you ask him, yeah, hey, Mike, hey Mike how was that cup of coffee? You know, thank you, Jesus. You know, and you sit yeah, there no, for, he... for giving me this wonderful gift that you have brought upon. And you sit there and you say, what? You know, come on. You know, with all due respect to that whole nonsense, I, I don't agree with it, but I understand their religious conviction as it relates to abortion. I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand right. it. Yeah. What I don't understand is how you feel that your conviction should be thrust upon others, including people that aren't even of the same faith. How right, about or are who don't have the same belief? Right. right. We have a First Amendment. That was actually the first amendment of the Constitution of the United States. Right. We think of the First Amendment as freedom of speech, but it's the freedom against the establishment of a state religion. And it's the thing that Margaret Atwood wrote about in 1985 in her book, The Handmaid's Tale. And they laughed at her. They said, it's not America's not going to be a theocracy. It can't be. It's actually the one country that can't become a theocracy because it's in the damn Constitution that it can't be a theocracy. And yet, you have Mike Pence talking the way he does and and uh, Tim Scott talking the way he does. Now, I'll give credit to those two guys because I believe that they are doing it in good faith. In other words, I think Mike Pence believes that he speaks to God I every day. Um, I don't. You, okay. You know, yeah, well, well, but, I'm sorry. You remember that there's an adage, thou dost protest too much, right? No, no, I, I don't I believe it. I think anybody that I, acts the way that he acts is full of shit. But let's say... Take, just take it at face value. Let's say the religious guys in the race are are Tim Scott and and Mike Pence. Doesn't matter because Mike Pence gave a whole lot of evangelical and uber religious Christian voters a pass to vote for Donald Trump, whom those very people thought was generally speaking an immoral guy, and they gave them they gave him the pass. Now those people are in Trump's camp. They are part of the MAGA crowd. They don't need Mike Pence anymore. They don't need Tim Scott anymore. I don't need you to give the other guy cover. I'm not voting for you. I voted for him. He got me my two Supreme Court guys. Right. We took down Roe v. Wade. Why do I need Tim uh, Mike Pence? Why do I need Tim Scott? And Tim Scott, interesting character, much more nuanced than Mike Pence, could have made a lane for himself, mm -hmm. like Nikki Haley. Spent the last several years not doing that, so, you know, He's got a little time to make himself interesting, but I don't know that that's going to happen. They're all, I will say this, some of these people are interesting people in their own right, right? Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, when he's not being crazy, um, they, they, are, they could be interesting candidates, but because Donald Trump is doing the equivalent of walking around the stage behind Hillary Clinton, he wasn't even there and he's still having the same effect. Mm -hmm. These people can't come out into their own. And I will say one other thing. The one policy disagreement they tended to get into was abortion last night, and mostly it was tripping over each other to be more conservative than than the next about abortion and bring in a federal abortion ban, which should be something that, uh, or federal abortion legislation, which is something that everybody in this country should be very concerned about. That's very different, as you know, legally from the, from the collapse of Roe v. Wade. But Nikki Haley spoke up and said, guys, this is not good for us. This is not a winning philosophy for us. Maybe we should just not lean into this so much. And 
That might have been the wisest thing said last night. Not sure it's going to go anywhere. But leaning into the abortion thing, this abortion is the dog that slammed into the car for Republicans. They best just be happy with the fact that Roe v. Wade fell and move on. Because every time they try and do a referendum or do a vote on this thing, it goes the wrong way. Yeah, so let me say this. First of all, it was Trump put in three Supreme Court judges, all of whom um, were federalists, right? I mean, they were part of that heritage yeah. group or uh, yes. that he was yes. told to, you know, that he received from the evangelical community. But here's an interesting thing, too. The evangelicals don't need Donald anymore either. They got what they wanted. They got their judges. Look, let me, let me be young. Yeah. Let me be judges. let me be clear on something. And you and I have had this conversation in the past. You'll remember. I was actually the one that brought the evangelical community to Donald. And I hate myself for doing it. I really, I do. I brought the evangelical community to Donald. And I did that through Jerry Falwell. Jerry Falwell Jr. is a friend of mine. Yep. He remains, he and his wife Becky remain friends of mine to this day. And I asked him as a favor to me, do me a favor. Donald's dying there in Iowa. Can you go there and endorse him? Can you help, can you help him out? We never thought Donald was going to win the election. When he started moving up in the polls more of the evangelicals started getting involved. The Franklin Grahams, the Creflo Dollars of the world. He always had, yeah. he always had um, what's her name? Uh, White, uh, Paula White, Reverend Paula White. In yeah. fact, she lives in one of his buildings. Yeah. And so we brought them all together and we gave them the hope that they would be able to accomplish some of the things that they wanted. Okay. And they got it. Now that they got it, they've always acknowledged that they've never looked to Donald as their, you know, spiritual chief, right? But they did sure. look at him as a commander in chief because he could do exactly what you said. And that's to put yep. three individuals onto the Supreme Court and overturn something that they fundamentally disagree with. Yep. Now, and also Lots of federal judges, right? Because there were lots of vacancies and he filled record numbers of federal judges, which give you a, a bench for uh, Supreme Court judges in the future, but also end up like Matthew Kaczmarek in uh, in Texas, who who gave them the Miffy Pristone ruling. Mm -hmm. So Donald Trump, it, it, when history writes the book on him in the end and they say what's in the good column or what's in the successful column, not good, but successful that is a success. He can actually check that off as a, I said I would do this, and I did it. Which is funny because he actually did nothing there. I was in his office when he received probably, it was a list, it was probably, I don't know, maybe close to half an inch in thickness. And it listed yep. all the judges for Supreme Court nomination on their list, then followed by state by state, the various different judges to be appointed to the federal court. He was handed this document. And all right. he did is go right. down the list. That's it. Go down the list. They didn't vet anybody and say, oh, you know what? John Doe is not as good as Jane Doe or Jane Doe's not as right. good as Jack Smith. Right. Uh, and so on. They didn't care. He just went down the list yep. that was given to him. So what did he do? OK. Yes, he did have them appointed. But he didn't do anything as it relates to the creation of that. And that's OK, I guess, you know. I don't know how that is supposed to be beneficial to our country. I don't see it that way. But I want to go back to last night's debate because I personally have a real issue with Vivek Ramaswamy. 
I don't know what it is. Maybe he's got too many teeth in his <laughs> mouth. Maybe the fucking laminates about constantly smiling and laughing. Everything's fucking funny. He reminds me of, uh, what's the guy's name? Smiling Bob from the erectile dysfunction commercial. Everything's fucking funny. The conspiracy theories that he throws out there. Let me be very clear to my listeners. 9-11 was not an inside job by the United States of America. Okay? It was not. Barack Obama had nothing to do with it. The Bushes had nothing to do with it. Trump had nothing to do with it. Right? Uh, Joe Biden had nothing to do with it. This was an attack on America by a foreign, by a foreign source. Plain and simple. And the fact that he could even think for a second that the government was involved in this for whatever his crazy reasons are. And his whole life story is like very, very strange to me. But I want to get to him for a second because he did have this breakout moment. I I hate when they use that word, but he did have this moment in the GOP debate yesterday where, as you said, he seems to be angling, right, for Trump's number two, for the vice presidential pick. Yeah. If you would, discuss with me what you know about him. And do you think that there's even a remote chance that he could become a potent force in GOP politics? He certainly doesn't look GOP to me, right? And I find it comical that in the afterwards, when they were doing the spin, the spin room in the back, people were actually applauding him because these are the yeah. same people that if he wasn't Vivek Ramaswamy running for, they'd be more than happy to take a Louisville slugger to his kneecaps. So obviously stating the obvious here that he's this conspiracy mongering, divisive gaslighter. What do you think about this dude? Yeah, so he he is a gaslighter. There's no question. But I think there's a few very, very interesting things about him. The first one is uh, what's interesting about that stage last night is you had Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, two South Asians, right? That's not not all that common. Uh, running for president. We have a vice president of the United States who is part South Asian, um, but not really a big thing. Now, the South Asian community in America, <coughs> pardon me, the you know the Indian diaspora, if you will, um, is interesting in that it's like uh, Hispanic voters in America. Generally speaking, at a rate of more than 25%, they vote conservative. Um, I'm always intrigued by this, right? Because I, I wonder why, as, uh, as fellow people who have been... Uh, you know, have, have, have faced bad things uh, at the hands of colonizers and oppressors. Why why we suddenly think that that doesn't have to be fought off in the United States. But generally speaking, your average Indian, particularly if they're an entrepreneur or an engineer and go to Silicon Valley, they don't live in fear of getting pulled over on the side of the road and, and getting killed. So they think that, you know, I'm in, I made it in, I worked myself up and and, uh, and 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 that's very popular. So that theme is very popular. The Indian diaspora in America is also very wealthy. So it's a great source of financing and funding. So I think that was interesting. Just put that aside for a second. Number two, Vivek Ramaswamy is 38 years old, newly 38 years old. I think his birthday was last week or something. Um, so he can actually angle for next time around or vice presidential candidate or vice presidential candidate next time around or just becoming a more popular guy by running for president. little early for him to be peaking because polls might show that he shoots up. As you know, in Republican primaries, as I said, yeah. everybody gets two weeks at the pile. So who knows? But I think that's interesting. However, he's a smart guy. He's an entrepreneur. He's 38 years old. 
when you start peddling in this conspiracy theory nonsense about the government being involved, well, that's what happened. Remember, that's what happened with COVID. That's what happens with um, this whole deep state thing that we're doing right now. That's what happens anytime something happens with Donald Trump. Congress and and uh, Kevin McCarthy want to launch an investigation. They're launching an investigation into Fonnie Willis in Georgia. They're launching an investigation in everybody. No one's investigating Jared Kushner, by the way, who shook down the Saudis for two to three billion dollars for no apparent gain uh, to to them. But but everybody else is going to get investigated. This stuff is so easy. It's such low hanging fruit, Michael. And I'm so sad and disappointed that Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, I always take a little pride if my people are, are, are running in public office, even if we don't share political views. But what are you doing this for? Why are you leaning into conspiracy nonsense? Not just that, but he wants a civics test for people to vote. It's not read a book about the history of this country. Remember, we stopped people from voting because we tested them. We tested them on things they couldn't know, like how many jelly beans there are in, in this jar. Let's we don't have adequate civics education in this country. Most Americans who did not were not naturalized like me, who had to pass a test, can't answer many of the uh, questions on that test to get us get citizenship. That's a failure of us, our system, our educational system, all that kind of stuff. Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't seem to understand. That the system's not built just for guys like him to succeed. The system to work has to work for everyone. Democracy has to be equally spread. Economic benefit and prosperity opportunity has to be uh, relatively equally spread. He sounded both tone deaf and conspiratorial, and I don't know why. I think he's smarter than that, and I wonder whether a new Vivek Ramaswamy will emerge that actually leans into the fact that he's an entrepreneur and he's had some interesting experiences that you may want uh, in somebody who's president. But as of now... You know, Vivek Ramaswamy is interesting for exactly two minutes. In the third minute, he usually says something that causes you to say, okay, you're not a serious person. And last night, got a lot of fame and got some interesting numbers. But the takeaway for me is you're not really a serious person. Forget about being serious. He's not even factually accurate. So Ramaswamy. Right. right. right okay. First of all, there's a whole weird thing about how he made his money. You know, that they, yes. they say he's a tech guy. No, no. It had to do with a Alzheimer pill that he had purchased from SmithKline Glaxo that had failed, I believe, four times FDA trials. Right. He bought it, went through documents, allegedly picked out the parts that were bad. It's almost like a little mini Richard Sackler from Oxy, right? And then what he ends up doing is he goes and he rebrands this pill with a completely different name, raises a ton of money, Onto it. Now, this yep. is just what I read. Raises a ton of money, and a day or two before the entire company, because, you know, the old expression, you can't turn shit into gold, it failed yep. again. I mean, if yep. a drug doesn't work, it doesn't work, no matter how many people you put on it with credentials that will pull out only the favorable. You know, there's an old expression, too, that says uh, numbers don't lie, people do. So if you pick out, you know, you cherry pick what's beneficial, okay, that's yep. great up until you get to the FDA trials. And here it failed four times under SmithKline Glaxo, right? A mega billion dollar pharmaceutical company. Right. But he ends up selling his stock. Like two days or so before, the company goes completely under. People lost billions, but he made money. To me, sounds like the typical Jordan Belfort pump and dump. And I'm shocked. I really am. I'm shocked that there's not a DA already investigating what's going on there. But, but, yeah. in the debate last night, Ramaswamy stated 
that the Constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedom in human history. That it that is what won us the American Revolution. Factually, that's inaccurate. Okay, and now yes. and again, you know, I don't want to sit there and pick, you know, on it. But if you're going to make such a bold and a ostentatious type of a statement. You know, he's talking about the, you know, the, about the Revolutionary War and, you know, America becoming America and so on. At least your facts should be accurate. Because yeah. Yeah. one thing that you should know is that the Revolutionary War, right, took place from 1775 to 1783. And that the Constitutional yeah. Convention, which is where the Constitution was signed and so on, took place in 1787. So yes. therefore, yeah, with the, yes, that was the, they're unrelated matters. That one came from another, but they're unrelated matters. And he just doesn't know that. And I'm a big fan of the Constitution. I'm a big fan of the Constitution. I'm on the board of the National Constitution Center. In fact, I, you know the way I read those indictments as a podcast. I'm reading the Constitution in a couple of weeks as a podcast for this very reason because it's not long. The little version of it is 29 pages long. It's not long. It's not even in a, a, a particularly complicated document. There are things in it that are up for debate validly. There are some things in it that are up for debate seemingly invalidly. But whatever, that's its own thing. Vivek Ramaswamy. It's not, but that's when I said tone deaf. It's 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 that thing that I talk about that worries me about some people who meet with some success so they assume everybody else does. That's just a shallow interpretation of history. It's factually incorrect, but even if his dates were right, even if they aligned, it's still not true. And so it sounds great to just sort of wrap yourself in the flag and talk about the constitution. This is the same constitution under which for many years women couldn't vote in America. This is the same constitution under which for many years black people didn't have equal rights in America. There are lots of issues with this constitution. It's better than anything else was at the time that it came there. There weren't really comparable things. It's a remarkable document. Um, but, you know, they got some issues with it. Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy's take on this is a little bit simplistic. Right. We should all stand up for the Constitution and defend the Constitution. You're but a we kind man, Ali. I always tell you that you're a kind man. It's not that it's simplistic. It's ignorant. All right. And the Constitution, by the way, it's not that you know, it, it limited, um, you know, black people's rights. They had no rights. They were chattel. Right. I mean, and, and remember, it refers to them in the Constitution as less than people. And and our one of our sitting Supreme Court justices right now has said, Clarence Thomas has said, that there are certain in unenumerated things that people have gained rights from as an interpretation of the Constitution that maybe should be reconsidered, which is why a lot of people after the fall of Roe v. Wade are worried about the potential fall of gay marriage rights. They're worried about the idea that people who are of different races um, may not have valid marriages. And it sounds extremely except we've actually got a Supreme Court justice who's saying you might interpret the Constitution this way. So if you'd like to be an informed commentator or debater about the Constitution in 2023, read the damn document, understand its history, and understand what some of the most pressing and interesting debates in there are. Wrapping yourself in it and saying that's the stuff that kept us together during the American Revolution, wrong and wrong. Yeah, I mean, look, then Ramaswamy blamed the closure of mental health institutions for the spike in crime, in violent crime. Not true, not support. He then went on, made another um, 
false. And by the way, we've, we've been closing mental health institutions since antipsychotic drugs were invented in the 1950s. In the 60s, it accelerated in the, in the 80s and 90s. This is not a new thing. So that's just, again, it's, 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 it's the causal relationship is incorrect. But I'm sure it falls on some, some ears that say, oh, that's interesting. It's because we closed the, uh, the mental institutions that there's all this rising crime. That's just a, that's a simplistic view of things. These things are so important, Michael. Why is there a rising crime? Why do people perceive there's a rising crime? crime. What is all that stuff? Like, these are things that I would actually like debated. But then a guy like this parachutes in with simplistic statements and people say, well, he makes a lot of sense. No, he doesn't actually make right, a lot of sense. Right. That's the point. You call it simplistic. I call it ignorant and I call it misinformation, disinformation and malinformation. And all he's doing is regurgitating, you know, these same talking points that the other individuals who have like three brain cells and four teeth that they're the ones who are understanding this, saying, oh, yeah, shit, you know, I like this brown fella. Yeah, no, no, I don't give a shit what color you are. How, you know what I care about? I care that you're actually factually accurate, that you have an idea he wants yeah. to, I mean, climate change, the agenda, in his opinion. I didn't understand that when he said it's a hoax. the climate change agenda is a hoax. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I, don't, I just need to know what that means. Right? What does that actually mean? He's parroting, Are you suggesting yeah, he's climate change is a hoax? Yes. Are you trying to get in with those people? Because it's it's 100 degrees when it shouldn't be, and the sky in New York is orange some mornings. I don't understand what that means. Just tell me. Then we can discuss it. We're not debating whether climate change is actually a thing. But I don't know what you mean by the climate change agenda. Let's have that discussion. Stop with the stupid bumper stickers. Let's. If you want to be the smart guy in the race, which he seemed to have wanted to be, right? The smart intellectual policy guy in the race. Act like it. Yeah. Come armed with actual discussions, and then you and I and other people across this country can evaluate those discussions and see if they make sense. What does the climate change agenda is a hoax mean? Sounds like it means you're playing to the MAGA group who, you know, Donald Trump's complaints about climate change is it makes his showers weaker and you can't flush the toilet and you can't wash your hands and the washing machines don't work and the dishwashers don't work. It's ridiculous. The earth is burning. We have to actually have real discussions about fossil fuels and our consumption of them and how, what role government has, what role consumers have. And Donald Trump's talking garbage and Vivek Ramaswamy is saying vague things about it. This is 2023. It's no time for vague statements about climate. Say what you're going to do. Say what you think government should do. Say where, where you want society and the world to go. Say what role you want America to have in the leadership of fighting climate change in the world. Not the climate change agenda is a hoax. I don't know what that means. And then, and then you get Joe Biden, who's out there, and he's actually tackling policy. Look, I'm yes. not saying I like every policy that Joe Biden you know, is putting forth and so on. I don't. However, but it's policy. It's policy. They're not talking policy. They're talking stupidity and they're trying to back it up with information that's made up in order to validate their stupidity. And, and it I used to be it. a thing that Republicans owned as much as Democrats did, right? The idea that we have policies. We believe X. We believe that people should do this or do that. Like there used to be policies and you could agree with them or you could disagree with them. If you disagreed with them, you were a, a progressive or a Democrat. If you agreed with them, you were a conservative or Republican and you could debate those things. And, and you and I might not agree on a lot of things in life, but that was the beauty of the system. We had a political system. We all agreed that democracy, generally speaking, works. Get people out to support your view and debate the issues. We're, we're, this is nonsensical marketing ploys, right? And again, not every one of them. There are a few people on that stage and some who didn't make like it onto Chris that Christie. stage. Who really have, Chris, Chris Christie, Christie did not care whether you booed him 
or you applauded yes. him. In fact, and, and I know Chris. You always I know Chris like that pretty, about him. I know Chris pretty well, right? Um, and I can tell you something. He is true to himself. All right. Yeah. He's true to himself. He turns around and he says, "Lobo, this is the problem." As he points to the yeah. audience, he goes, "What yeah. you're doing is wrong." They are applauding people who are patronizing, right? Uh, you know, Donald, right? Anybody that says anything negative about Donald, you get booed. If you say something that's yeah. in line with them, you're getting applause. Again, nobody on that yeah. stage is going to be taking Donald's seat unless Donald walks away from it, gets incarcerated, or drops dead. One of the three. And it doesn't appear that any of those are happening. So why would you do? How about speak your own mind, be your own person, and be yeah, true say, to just America? Say, exactly. Just be true to yeah. America. So look, Wednesday was definitely a groundbreaking day for anyone myself included, seeking justice and accountability as the co-conspirators in Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election surrendered to authorities in Fulton County, Georgia. Yep. It was a full yep. day of watching different people go in, whether it's Rudy Colludi sitting there shaking people's hands, right? I mean, it's, um, it's Wild. amazing. I'm, Wild. I'm curious your thoughts seeing these people's mugshots. I think it's I think it's wild when you started this conversation and we we, we discussed the split screen of a Republican uh, presidential debate, which is really in terms of an election, the, the, the kickoff, right? It's the starting gun. It's the big event. Um, and in the shadow that that debate was taking place in the shadow of a um, insurrectionist, quadruply impeached, 91 charged, uh, 91 count charged uh, president, former president of the United States. And. 19 people's mugshots, 18 people's mugshots, and then and then Donald Trump's uh, separately and later, right? This is wild. It's it's the only issue, Michael. The only issue on that stage should have been how I'm going to fix the Republican Party, how I'm going to lead this Republican Party to the greatness it once had, how I'm going to make this worthy of the title, the Party of Lincoln. Right? I, I appreciate that some of them were putting forward some policy initiatives, and I I respect that. But but it's too far gone, Michael. It's like me talking. Republicans on that stage talking policy right now is about me discussing with you which way I should part my hair. Literally, that's what that is like. It's like, but Ali, you don't have any hair to part. No, no. But if I had hair, which way? Where should I part it? And how should I part it? No, but you don't have any hair, right? You don't have a party. You don't follow democracy. Your your de facto leader is a criminal, and you're not actually talking about it. Uh, he's been indicted several times. Why don't you talk about that? Why don't you have that respect for the system, the jury of his peers, and a fair trial and a speedy trial? Right? We 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 fought for the right to a speedy trial. Donald Trump strangely doesn't want a speedy trial. Why don't we discuss that? We we we've, we've said that you're innocent until he's proven guilty. So why don't we respect that that system that is going to try him? None of that, right? So it's cute that they're talking about policy, but I can't trust you with my democracy. So it's like Ali Velshi talking about how he's going to part his hair. There's no hair to part. There's no policy for you to discuss. A few years ago, they made a decision in the Republican Party that there's no policy. The policy is the candidate. The president is the policy. That didn't work out so well for them. It didn't work out for three elections. So that should have been the how do we save the party? Obscure conversations about I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Vivek Ramaswamy doesn't make sense. It's the what are you going to do about the fact that your party's largely been overtaken by either criminals or People who are a bit crazy. Yeah. 
That's the issue. You know, Ali, when you start talking about the parting of your hair, all I'm thinking is 1970s Tom Jones. That's what, that's what I'm thinking you should be doing. It. <laughs> right? So look. Well, the world's getting ridiculous enough that that would be the that why, would be a, why a valid not? Why not? I mean, you could paint right. it on your head like Steve Miller did. Just don't go out in the yeah. heat. Or you could do the same thing that Rudy say, Giuliani least, did. That was the one thing with, with uh, Giuliani. It wasn't dripping yesterday. His uh, his head wasn't dripping. Yeah, so. thank God for that. But now, yeah, the glad handing when he gets when he gets arrested. I mean, this is just. It's wild to see, but it's amazing to think. I mean, all day I'm looking at my email. So-and-so's been booked. So-and-so is surrendered. So-and-so is surrendering at 2 a.m. So-and-so's doing this. By the way, a few of them have GoFundMes um, for their for their, for their their legal fees, including Jenna Ellis, the, the, the lawyer who was standing next to Rudy Giuliani the whole time. And I remember thinking after, um, after the election of 2020, as Jen, Jenna Ellis was out there with Rudy Giuliani, because we all knew... Those of us from New York and those of us who've seen Rudy Giuliani since he was America's mayor understand that Rudy Giuliani is living on another planet. We understood this. But I'm thinking of this woman, Jenna Ellis, young woman, young lawyer. Do you get that you're wrecking your reputation right now? I, do you get that you may need a lawyer one day? Do you get that you're going to need to pay $100,000 bail or whatever, put up her bail, whatever it was, and now, and then you're going to need a GoFundMe for your legal representation? And you may pra never practice again as a lawyer. Ali? These people yeah. wrecked their lives. Did you see... When I was on CNN with Caitlin Collins, I asked her to take a pause. And I said, I want you to think about something. These fuckers, from Donald to the Jenna Ellis's, 100,000, 150, Donald, the big, the big bond, 200,000. Yeah. My bond was $500,000. Wow. Two and a half wow. times Donald's. And what was my crime? Fuck anybody that didn't read my book, Revenge, and wants to say, well, you had tax evasion. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And if you read the book, you'll see with absolute evidence there was no tax evasion. Was it a tax omission? Yes. My fault? No. My CPA's fault, Jeff Getzel. I paid him a fortune to do my taxes, 1811 There was no cash. There was no hiding of assets, no, like, Manafort overseas banks nominees. I've never yep. filed a late tax return until 2017. You were running an empire. I had, I had a lot of money, all right? I had an 1,811-page yep. tax return. I paid $5 million in taxes during those years that it was missing one3 250000 a year. Now, I acknowledge... There was a mistake. No problem. Before sentencing, I paid the money. No problem. When I right. wanted to redo the tax law, I never spoke to an IRS agent. I never had the opportunity to resolve it. It was either you plead guilty from a Friday to a Monday, or we file an 80-page tax return that includes your wife, because you guys filed jointly. All right? They knew my Achilles heel. But I paid two and a half times the amount of Donald. And what was really my crime? Asking a woman or paying a woman not to talk about the president's mushroom pecker, right? Because he would be embarrassed and because of the campaign and so on. All right. That's what two and a half times what Donald did. Bunch of assholes who trying to rip up the Constitution, rewrite the Constitution, and more importantly, overthrow a free and fair election. So they're all bitching about 100 grand, 150. Fuck Rudy. 
All right? Rudy should be a million fucking dollars standing up there with Donald at Bedminster Wild, in front right? of the doors, right? Puffing out Wild. his fat ass, you know, and his chest and his big ass belly right next to them. They're all smiling like they own the world, like in The Handmaid's Tale, like in a George Orwell 1984 type yep. book. Yep. They're all puffing their chest like they are the masters of the universe. No, you're a bunch of fucking thieves. You're a bunch of fucking thugs. All right? Rico Rudy. Everything that you did to others is now coming back to bite you in the ass. Right. And you know what we call that? Karma boomerang. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated. And you just thought Mike, Mark Meadows was trying to get his stuff delayed. And the federal judge said, no, no, you're, you're like everybody else who's named in this thing. You got to surrender by such and such a date. And your arraignment's going to be on such and such a date. So it's all coming back. I'm still, I remain curious about Mark Meadows because, you know, um, uh, some people are, have suggested that his his absence from the January 6th Jack Smith uh, indictment suggests that he was he's been talking and cooperating to them. But then he gets um, indicted in this in this thing. So I'm, I'm most curious about him. He may be the most textured person um, in this conversation. Yeah. But but the rest of them, they knew what they were doing. They were out there criming. Uh, they were doing things that, as Jack Smith said, they knew that there was no outcome determinant of fraud in the in the 2020 election, and yet they did that. So there's a conversation about whether Donald Trump um, can, you know, legitimately say that he didn't believe that to be true. Jack Smith doesn't even care about that conversation. He's going to blow right through that and prove that Donald Trump did know it to be true, even though you knew, you know, as uh, as as uh, someone who studied the law, that 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 doesn't matter. Um, that's actually not going to going to be uh, all that relevant to the case, but. All these people were in on the conspiracy. They were in on the whole thing all the way along. Jenna Ellis and Rudy Giuliani and all those folks in Georgia, they were going to meeting after meeting and subcommittee hearing after subcommittee hearing and holding press conferences and intimidating people and texting people and coming up with fake documents for electors. It was a conspiracy. It was a scheme. They were all in it and they knew it was wrong. And the one danger here, Michael, is that Donald Trump, like many despotic, uh, uh, autocratic authoritarians, is effectively turning himself into martyr, right? Victim. He, he said it. You and I have discussed only, this. Only to his, uh, only to his 30% of the GOP. And, you know, these are the same, these are the same idiots that if Donald shot, shot me on Fifth Avenue, they would say, good, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Yeah. You know, I will tell you, though, the one guy who surprised me out of this whole ordeal, and I think he's going to be the linchpin that, or he'll be the, the pin in the hand grenade, is this guy from Mar-a-Lago, the IT guy, Yusil Tavares. Yes. All right. What he's going to be able to Ain't show. testimony. Right? In, yeah. What he's going to be able to show is that Donald knew exactly what he was doing, that they all lied to federal prosecutors. They all lied to law enforcement as it related to the documents at Mar-a-Lago. All right? Yeah. That they did. And he's going to be... The, you know, he's going to be the thing that really, I think, causes Donald Trump some very significant pain. Because even if you it's can't get him Watergate, on anything, right? what's that? Very Watergate, very. right? Like it's going to come down to the guy on the with the IT who says they told me to delete all this stuff. Like that's it. it, it the, the mighty sometimes fall on the simplest matters. Yeah, and what's going to ultimately happen with Tavares is he's going to lay it all out. Who knew what one? They're going to compare it to the statements and the and the under oath statements that were made. At the end of the day, it's a one thousand and one violation. No matter how you slice it, that is an immediate right. conviction. Now look. 
Trump seems to be leaning into this arrest, right? And making the case once again, right? For the now fourth time that he's doing it for the base, right? The only thing standing between them and you is me. Is me. Yeah, I'm not really yeah. sure. I understand. Even these people, okay. again, with four brain cells. Really? How because they I'm think not, that's cause, true? Because yeah. I'm not really the one that was holding a piece of paper that said United States of America versus John Doe, Jane Doe. I'm yeah. seeing a paper that says yeah. United States of America versus Donald Trump. But yeah. they still fall for it. Yep. That they are arresting him instead of all of them, and that he is the one, again, standing in the way of a weaponized Justice Department. My question to yep. you is, will his mugshot become a symbol of martyrdom, or do you think it will help to erode his support? This is a really good question, because a lot of people I talk to say, are we going to finally see a mugshot? And my general feeling is I'm not I'm not sure why anybody cares. He's been arrested. And we know that there's proof of that. But to the same degree that people who don't like Donald Trump and want him to face justice want to see that mugshot because they want to see justice in action. They want to see cameras um, in federal court. Likely not going to happen, but they they'll they'll see them uh, probably in Georgia because they want to see him when he talks to a judge. They want to see that Donald Trump who's not puffed up and not full or, or the Rudy Giuliani, all these people not puffed up, but taking directions from a, a judge who's telling them how they have to behave. On the other hand, yeah, there is some chance that, that we've seen this. We saw it, it. We've seen it in history with dictators all around the world. Right? You jail the the the. Not only dictators, by the way, a lot of democratic leaders who took over, let's say, post-colonial uh, countries in Africa or with, with Gandhi, right? There are a lot of people who were jailed or Nelson Mandela, perfect example, jailed and then become the leaders of their country. So for better or for worse, jailing a political leader or doing all the things that are the mechanics of prosecution and jailing does gain some sympathy. Now, most lawyers will tell you, or most prosecutors will tell you, you have to ignore that fact for purposes of prosecution in terms of um, actually following the law and 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 being fair. But it is real. Now, if you're right that it doesn't go beyond Donald Trump's base, fine. I do worry that enough repetition of this whole I'm a martyr, this is a witch hunt, uh, Biden crime family stuff, I feel it starts to resonate in broader circles like ones that you and I might encounter here in New York with you know, people who are generally socially liberal but fiscally conservative who start to say, you know, I think enough is enough. They've gone after him. He was impeached. He lost the election. Um, and I would actually like lower taxes, right? I think that starts to play into the whole stop already. You're, you seem to be obsessed with Donald Trump. How do you mar marry that with the idea that I'm not obsessed with Donald Trump? I'm obsessed with justice. I'm obsessed with people not overturning democracy. I'm obsessed with the idea that when you win an election or lose an election, that's the outcome. It's the people's decision. How do you square that? And I do worry that all of the process does muddy that a little bit, right? In the end, if everybody read those documents, they read the indictment documents, the charging documents, or listened to my podcast of me reading them word for word and read the Constitution, you can come to your own conclusion about this. I don't know that that's what everybody does. I think people get their conclusions from the media. And so let me be real clear it. about this. They don't read. And it's, a, and it's a real shame. Now, there are some people like myself, I actually love to read. But sure. most people don't. They're getting their You read news. a lot, but you read an, an abnormal amount, right? I, like, I do. Even when you were incarcerated, all you did was read. Yeah, I mean, I read 97 books in 13 months yeah. and so on. Um, not to mention every newspaper that I received from everywhere. Yeah. But 
even as a kid. My, the only problem for me with school was that I never wanted to read what was assigned to me. I wanted to read what I yeah, wanted to read. Right? Yeah. You know, you know when they, I remember in history class, the teacher turned around and said to me, you know, who was um, King George, you know, um, what was the name of King George's mom? And I said, Mrs. George. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, Mrs. King. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it was, you know, silly stuff. I wasn't interested, you know, in that. And so, right. but I wanted to read what I wanted to read. Yeah. You did that. You actually read word for word, the Trump 98 page indictment. And I know that yep. people don't read, and I'm not just talking about average Joe and Jane citizen. I'm talking about people in the media too. Do you know how many fights that I've had with journalists when I say to them, when we put out the sentencing memo, Right. When I was being sentenced on me, I put out mine and, of course, government put out theirs. If you read the two, first of all, it didn't even seem like it was the same case. Governments was nothing more than something like out of clueless, right, where, it, you know, it's the burn book out of um, the, the movie, whatever the heck it was called, uh, with Lindsay Lohan, where it's the burn, the, you know, they put up a burn book. And it was mean, yeah. it was nasty, it was inaccurate, it was all designed to denigrate me. And it's all that, it's all that it was. Mine was factually accurate. I've never had a tax evasion letter in my life. I have never been audited. I have never not paid taxes. I have never not, I mean, I'll go on and on and on about it. In fact, there are other people, well-known celebrities, from the John Travolta's of the world to the Floyd Money Mayweather's, all right, who all had tax issues 10 times the amount, 20 times, 50 times the amount of mine, that it was a civil matter. I was never even given an opportunity. And I go on. They don't care about that. All government wanted to say is that I committed a smorgasbord of crimes, that I'm like this fucking low life and all this other... And I could not get a break. And I would say, did you read mine? Ah, I read the government's. Don't you think it's important to read both? Yes. And if you're yes. going to write a story on it, don't you think that you, should be, that you should read the whole damn thing? But you That's did why I do it. That's why I do it. Because, and, and, and this is hard for me. I'm not trained as a lawyer. So reading the, that 98 pages and the, the, the January 6th one before it and the Mar-a-Lago stuff, as, as much as they're written as a narrative, the bottom line is for those of us who are not trained in the law, it, it's a little hard. You're getting through section numbers and title this and, you know, but the point is I can't speak about this stuff without actually having read the words myself so that when somebody comes on my show and debates with me or gaslights me, I can say, no, no. And by the way, not only read it, I've got it. I've got my tab right. versions of it. Like I, I refer to it all the time because this is important. This is really important yep. stuff. You can't just listen to nonsense and snippets and clips from your favorite uh, TV anchor and 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 decide you know what this is. Just read the damn document. It takes a long time. I understand it's not the most fun thing to do in the world, but this is actually important. If you're going to have an opinion on this and this pin opinion is going to result in the way you cast a ballot in 2024, then it is incumbent upon you to read it. I'm not with Vivek Ramaswamy on civics tests, but I, I wish people would read or listen to these documents. Right. And that's why I read it. Not it was I was on I was in Eastern Europe and I sat in a hotel room for eight hours and I just read this thing into a microphone so that people who are driving or running or doing whatever they can just turn it on, listen to it, then let's have a And for that reason I wanted to thank you because a lot of people they won't do it and it's important information. But I did want to ask you if there was a larger, maybe a historical reason for you 
reading this indictment yes. into the public yes. record like that. And that was that was how I felt listening, yes. you know, and knowing what you were doing and knowing you uh, well enough. Yes, I was curious. We will discuss this, you and I, for the next 25 years, right? This will be a turning point in American history. These are important and historic documents. I'm actually putting it into a book, too. Not, nothing, no words of mine. It is literally a publication, like a textbook, of the indictments that, that thinking people should own and have on their bookshelf and always be able to say to their children and their grandchildren, when democracy feels a little safer in this country, maybe in 20 years or 30 years or 50 years, I was there when it was imperiled by a man named Donald Trump and his cabal and how that was becoming a movement that was bigger than Donald Trump, right? It's a movement of people who are anti-democratic. And I was there for that fight. And these are the documents that came out. So yes, you're 100% right, Michael. You know me well. You and I have uh, talked and been friends for a while. You know me well. I wanted to read that. I wanted to be attached to that for the rest of history, to be able to say in those moments where we have to make decisions and we have to be informed for all the lousy things people think cable news has done over the last 30 years, and I've been a part of it for most of it, Sometimes we as journalists can do the right thing, and the right thing may just be to be putting into the hands of our viewers and our listeners and our readers the information that they need to make the proper decisions in a functioning democracy. And that was that's part of why I did. And well done. Now, I do want to say that recently on your show, you had somebody, uh, Fred Smith Jr., and yeah. he said, and I want to quote, in contrast with the federal law, making false statements is a crime under Georgia's RICO law. That means Trump could be criminally liable for his false statements to the Georgia House subcommittee and Georgia Senate subcommittee. Does this give the prosecution an extra arrow that they do not have federally? Because the part, the part two of that question is, my biggest fear is that if, in fact, Trump should be found innocent, boy, I don't even know how that innocence determination would embolden him, not just guarantee him the nomination, I, but would create uh, some sort of a shitstorm in this country that I can't even put my finger on. You and I are going to be neighbors in Canada if that happens. Uh, yes, this was a really interesting point because you know about 1,001 violations. You know about uh, lying to the court or lying to uh, uh, federal investigators. Uh, also would be a crime to lie to the Georgia investigators, but it's not a crime to lie, generally speaking, to most people at all in society. But under Georgia law, if it's pursued as a, as a RICO crime, as a conspiracy, all these things that are done, as it said in the indictment, in furtherance of the, the underlying uh, uh, conspiracy are part of the conspiracy. So there are things that if you read that thing, you'll say, oh, so-and-so texted so-and-so at this hour, then so-and-so texted so-and-so. How are any of these crimes? They don't look like crimes. How is so-and-so telling so-and-so about something a crime? It's a crime because it's in the furtherance of the underlying conspiracy. And that's the point he was making, that, that Donald Trump thinks he can just say anything he wants to anyone. And we are all adherents to the First Amendment that, that you can... By the way, on the third page or the second page of the January 6th Jack Smith indictment, it says he was entitled to lie about the outcome of the election. He was entitled to lie about all sorts of things. But they did things to try and convince people to do illegal things in, in violation of their own oaths of public office. That's what makes a simple lie into a crime. And it's something that I'm sure Donald Trump understands because he's hired a new lawyer who actually has experience with RICO in Georgia. But that you can't just lie with impunity. The First Amendment doesn't say everybody's entitled to lie. It has limitations, and that is that you're entitled to say what you want. 
You're entitled to say what you want, even if you know it to be dishonest. You are not entitled to do things in furtherance of a crime that are that are dishonest, particularly if you're using influence and intimidation to do it. That's the distinction that they're making in Georgia. I think that's a very interesting distinction. You also can't lie to a federal agent. You can't lie to law enforcement. That's the thousand and one violation. And again, I want to use my specific scenario in contrast to what Donald is lying about or allegedly lying about. And that is a free and fair election. All right. Overturning a free and fair election. Basically, the underlying concept of our Constitution. Right then and there. Sounds pretty big to me. Now I want to contrast it to my big 1001 violation, which, by the way, was done in concert with Donald. It was done in concert right. with Jay Sekulow, Jared, Ivanka, Alan Garten, see, uh, the general counsel at the Trump org. Uh, you had Ty Cobb. You had also Abby Lowell. There was a whole slew of people involved in the drafting of my Senate Permanent Select Committee statement. And the big lie that I told was the number of times that I claimed to have spoken to Donald about the failed Trump Tower Moscow real estate project. I stated three because that's the message that they wanted me to stay on. The real answer was 10. Okay? Failed real estate project, three versus 10. Hardly, hardly comparable to trying to overturn a free and fair election. Something that I warned the country about in 2018. I'm sorry, 20, uh, yeah, 2018 when I testified before the House um, Oversight Committee. Turn around and say, this is why you're so discussion because you served time for that. And so should he. That's just the way I see it. But Ali, look, the hour goes by very quickly. I could spend five hours with you and we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of everything that's going on here. So I just want to change gears for a quick second. I want to end the conversation with something that's very personal to you. All right. I'd like for a moment and to discuss your new upcoming podcast, the Velshi Band Book Club. Now you're releasing it into an incredibly, incredibly polarized cultural moment where legislatures across the country are banning books again, right? I mean, this is like, honestly, reminds me of 1984. It reminds me of, I, 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 it reminds me of Germany, right? The Third Reich. I mean, this is, this is not, this reminds me of Putin, right? When they turn around and it's only going to be what we tell you that you could read. Is this the reason, right. is this the reason that you decided to launch the show now? Because it is yeah, so, so it's, relevant? It's, first of all, your, your, your parents came out of the Holocaust, my right? Father. I mean, to, to my, father. my mom, my mom came uh, out of Brooklyn. <laughs> they, they, they burned books. They started by burning books. Right. And, and, and that's where it goes. Along, with the, where along with the people who were holding the books. My family comes from, grew up under apartheid. They were, they were anti-apartheid activists. My father, when he first saw me doing the Van Book Club on TV said, I didn't know till I left South Africa that there were public libraries because there were no public libraries for people who weren't white because they didn't want you to learn the things. They, they, the last thing they needed was people actually knowing about other people's experience or bad things in your history. But here's the other thing. I, I, the book club 
podcast would appeal to people like you for two reasons, because one, it's the moment that we're in, right? That we should just read books. We should read things we don't like. We should read things that make us uncomfortable, but we should also be comfortable not reading. Your right is to read or to not read. You, we, I'm trying to preserve that right. But the second part of this, Michael, is that we read every book. The people who try to ban books don't generally read the books. They they know something about the author. They know something about the thought that's in the book, or they see that it's got some bad words in it and they want it banned. They're prudes right? We read all the books. And then the book club is really a conversation generally with the author. But if the author has passed, then it's with experts of the book, like, you know, on Shakespeare or Chaucer um, or Toni Morrison. But it's about the book. It's about the literature. It's about the words in the books and the ideas in the book. So it really is a book club. It's not a rant about politics because um, we've got other places for that. So I think it, it's it's an, just an amazing thing to read to say, hey, they're out there banning books. You know what we're going to do? We're going to use reading as resistance, reading as resistance. Just read the damn books, read whatever you want, exercise your right to buy whatever book you want, read whatever you want. And if you don't want your kids reading certain things, which is absolutely your right as a parent, curate it with them, be in on it, read the book, know what you're talking about. Do not let the state or the library or the school make the determination as to what your child has a right to read in school. You know, I, I, a lot of these books are banned because of, you know, they're a little bit racy. Um, and I talk to the authors about, you know, parents are worried that their little kids are going to read this. And the authors will say, it's not for little kids to read. It's for, you know, grown up kids to read. It's always valid. Information has to be out there. You control what you take in. You control what your family and your children take in. The government doesn't. Right. But you don't, in my opinion, have a right to express an opinion unless you actually read it. And unless you anybody can shoot from the hip and say, oh, yeah, well, this is what I think. No one gives a fuck what you think. It's it's I what's legitimate. No more innuendo. Let's talk facts. We are right now at a precipice in American history. Nobody thought this shit was going to ever happen. We are at a precipice in American history where we actually stand to see the end of democracy. We're seeing the end of women's rights to control their own reproductive system. We may be seeing the rights of, you know, um, the end of interracial marriage. And, you know, sometimes there's a humor. I'll say that maybe Clarence uh, Thomas wants that, which is why he doesn't seem that, you know, he's opposed to it. I don't know. I don't know anything about their marriage. Um, but you don't have a right to spew yes. an opinion unless you actually read it. All right. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I read it on so-and-so. And I believe that that is accurate when it's some ultra-right, nonsensical blog that's put out by some radical group on the right side or something like that. Uh, how about read things that not you trust, read things that everybody trusts or everybody should trust. You may not like the opinion, but at least read it so that you understand that there is a position that's contrary to yours. Otherwise, how do you grow? How do you grow? You, you should be reading things that make you a little bit uncomfortable. Some of the things we do are fun. You know, one of the books that's on my list, I, I interviewed him, is Art Spiegelman, Mouse, mm -hmm. a graphic novel, The Holocaust. I read it. Who wanted that band? Um, uh, what's his name? George Takei from Captain Sulu, Commander Sulu from Star Trek. He was a uh, he was in one of those Japanese American internment camps when he was five years old. He wrote a graphic novel about that, like a cartoon novel. They want they tried they banned that in a couple states. Like, what are people talking about? Just read the stuff or don't read the stuff. 
But get your nose out of what people are allowed to consume. Stop trying to control the thought. You're right. You go back to 1984 and you come back to Handmaid's Tale, it's all the same stuff. All we're doing is fighting for the freedoms we already have earned. And are losing. Ali, thank you so much, my friend. I will be seeing you very, very soon. I will be coming back onto your show as well. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Um, thank you for sticking into this fight. It's so much easier. Honestly, I sometimes smack myself and I say, why didn't I just go along? Why didn't I just ignore everything, do my time? Trump would have pardoned me. I'd probably be working at Fox News for some stupid salary, ridiculous, not worrying about anything anymore because I couldn't do it. I honestly, I could not, I could not can, debase, I couldn't debase my family name and do this shit. Yeah. So I want to thank you for everything that you're doing, your friendship, joining me today and my listeners on Maya Culpa and giving your perspective on these crazy times we're living in. So thank you, my brother. And now for today's Maya Culpa. In thinking about Donald Trump's mugshot, I'm struck by its absolutely sinister nature, that scowl, the piercing eyes and the furrowed brow. It is the portrait of a man looking at his future and really not fucking happy at what he's seeing. But it's also one more performative moment from America's first reality TV president. The difference being, we have skipped off the page and towards the end of history to some new moment where Trump is operating so far beyond the norms of human decency and morality. He has placed himself above his party. He's placed himself above the country. And he's definitely placed himself above the people who elected him. Now, Trump was always only about Trump. But now, right this second, he's hovering above us in a form of constant attack, waiting for the next blow. In the meantime, he will do whatever it takes to remain free. And that includes fomenting some kind of civil war that activates his MAGA army. He has already made himself the victim of a vast conspiracy, never mind the evidence that says no, and is witnessed by his shameful interview with Tucker Carlson. Rest assured, he won't hesitate to put more bullshit out into the world, no matter how much it incites his people. So consider what happened yesterday, the official start of what will be a long and chaotic fight to the finish. Let's just hope at the finish line that there is a conviction and that we don't take too much damage. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh.